Hello and welcome to Chick Flicks. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell, and today we are talking about two horror anthologies, Tales from the Hood and VHS. But first, let's catch up. What are you into, Bridget? Okay, well, I'm into, for the first time in a while, another podcast, <laughs> not in a snotty way, in a, in a way that I'm a bad podcast listener. <laughs> um, it's called The Renner Files, and it's by the actress Sarah Ramos and Caroline Goldfarb, who runs the Instagram official Sean Penn. At official Sean Penn. Hmm. And it is their true crime look into what went down with this celebrity app created by Jeremy Renner, the actor. So it's both a deep dive into celebrity apps, you know, like Kim Kardashian kind of started that whole deal as a way to make like money off of her celebrity. Um, but Jeremy Renner took it in kind of a completely different direction. And this like very strange community popped up on the Jeremy Renner app and people were kind of easily able to impersonate him on the app. And eventually, and you were like, people were spending all this money on it too. And eventually it got shut down. But the uh, podcast is also just a really interesting look into Jeremy Renner himself, who is so weird. He is such a weird person. (laughs) He is both like an A-list actor who's been in like some of the biggest franchises in world history mm-hmm. and his, he has two Oscar nominations and yet he is like not a household name. Like both Jenny and Tim were like, who is Jeremy Renner? <laughs> when I was talking about this podcast, I was like, he's Hawkeye from the Avengers. Um, <laughs> the most forgettable Avenger. He's, yeah. He really is the most forgettable Avenger, but he also like, he flips houses for millions of dollars. He was a makeup artist. He's trying to have a singing career. He's just a very weird man. And he has, it's such a funny look into his celebrity and um, Sarah Ramos and Caroline Goldfarb do it, do the podcast kind of as a spoof of you must remember this. Uh, so they take it very seriously, but I'm really enjoying it. And uh, whenever I introduce someone to the podcast, I say that they have been Renner pilled. <laughs> what was his, what were his Oscar nominations? I like cannot even fathom. Oh, the Hurt Locker. He oh, okay. was, that was kind of like his big breakout role. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I think The Town, directed by Ben Affleck, which for some reason I saw in theaters. Very on brand. Not my cup of tea, but apparently he does it for a lot of people, enough (laughs) for them to buy an app. Um, I'm also reading another really good horror book uh, by a woman. Um, I've kind of been reading a few in a row that I've really enjoyed. Mexican Gothic. I just finished... um, we Ride Upon Sticks, which I can't recommend enough. I really loved it. I recommended it in the last Chick Flicks episode. And now I'm reading Lakewood by Megan Giddings. And it's about this young woman who, in order to support her mother, who's very ill, and to pay her way through college, decides to agrees to participate in a government study. So she moves to this kind of like remote town called Lakewood, undercover of working at a new job where she does like shipping stuff in a factory, Mm -hmm. but she's actually participating in this secret study with a group of other people. Um, So I'm about one third of the way into the book and it's still pretty unclear what the researchers are studying and um, what they're trying to determine with the test subjects, but it's very creepy and I could see it becoming a really um, interesting movie. And it also touches a lot upon race as a, all of the test subjects are people of color and all of the scientists are white. I It's been fun to read because it's been so long where I didn't know how something was going to end or what direction it was going to take. Not because I'm smart, but because I spoil everything for myself. Um, 
so I'm really enjoying that. And then my last recommendation is kind of a lame one, but I have been watching, binging Sex in the City while, uh, while at work, while doing like some sort of um, database stuff. And I'm on season four and I can't stop watching. Um, Sex in the City is strange to watch because uh, you can tell at one point that it was very progressive to depict women on television in this way. But I kind of watch and I'm like, they talk about sex way too much. <laughs> like, I'm like, I want to hear more about Miranda's job <laughs> or like their friendship or other thoughts that they're mm-hmm. having. Uh, and there's other things that have aged really terribly on the show that people have talked <laughs> a, a lot about, um, you know, such as their handling of like bisexuality or trans people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it's interesting to kind mm-hmm. of watch as like an artifact because uh, it is, you know, at this point, almost 20 years old, which is crazy uh, that it was on television. Yeah. Did, have you watched mm-hmm. any of it? I I watched at the very beginning of quarantine mm-hmm. for like a week. And in that week, because mm-hmm. I was like packing stuff for a move and I had it on in the background and I forget which season I got to, but there it, I stopped watching when the entire... So the entire show like had yeah. no black oh, people yeah. in it at all. Like not even in the background, like a zero. And then the first episode, I there was like a waiter who was black and I was like and in like the third or fourth season and I was like, "Oh, I was like, uh finally a black person." And then the entire theme of the episode was about black people. Oh, and I was like, yeah. I I was just like, I can't do this anymore. It's like this show is like kind of terrible and they're all terrible yeah they're, they're all bad and i read emily nussbaum in the new yorker the new yorker uh, tv critic talking about how carrie bradshaw is maybe like television's first female anti-hero in the vein of like tony soprano mm. or walter white like someone who is not mm. a role model and mm. who you would not want to like even yeah. really know yes. but they're the protagonist and yeah. then i was thinking maybe actually the first female anti-hero on tv i can think of is maybe lorelei gilmore because i wow. i don't know maybe lorelei is still more a- aspirational and that's just my read of her is that she's an anti-hero <laughs> she's yeah well i feel like lorelei is better carrie. than yeah for sure at least carrie like carrie is so terrible. carrie is really bad <laughs> carrie is very bad and she's she cheats on her sweet boyfriend uh, yeah she's terrible <laughs> mackenzie what are you into this week okay let me um remember uh, oh, okay, so I've been watching The Great Pottery Throwdown on HBO, and I love it so much. Mm-hmm. It's basically The Great British Bake Off, which everyone who is a regular on the podcast knows I know and love and have seen every season multiple times. Um, and I finally got into Great Pottery Throwdown because my friend Nicole uh was watching it and she said it was great and then I'd love it and it um instead of baking it's making pottery a different type of baking because it goes yeah true yeah true 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 true. very it's like very I think I mean I've tried to watch other types of like you know like there's one with flat like oh the floral yeah yeah but this one I feel like is like right on the nose same vibes as uh, bake off mm. except i mean obviously not as good but like still mm. very good and the one male judge is named keith and he cries in every single episode and i love it i love well i love when judges cry period yeah. like You're i love it. when the host sandy and bake off 
cries. But he cries because he's like, at any point, if he feels like moved by how well someone who was nervous was Aww. is doing and or like if he just if it's just like beautiful art he's like you're doing so well and just starts crying. and it's so it, i'm like i am keith <laughs> like anyway love him and love the show everyone is very talented and i mean pottery is weird because i feel like it's such a like functional yeah. art too that sometimes you're like is this pretty but it's not supposed to be or like whatever yeah, taste kind of seems but, less subjective almost you know yeah 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 for sure um but there's definitely some very cool stuff and i have like said to myself like oh i would want that in my mm-hmm. home but it takes them like five days straight of like making yeah. it and i'm like whoa anyway my second thing is the book uh winter counts um by david hesco wombly waden um uh and it's about a um it's like a like a hard-boiled detective type vibe like very like nor nor like i never it's hard because we're from new jersey yeah (laughs) um noir uh uh But it is about a it takes place sort of on a reservation and the um, main protagonist is like paid by the other people on the res to beat up people that do bad things. Basically, that's like his job. And he sort of like investigates them before he decides he wants to beat them up to make sure that like they're deserving it's a good reason yeah. sort of but he also seems sort of like lost and not sure what he's doing with his life or whatever but his nephew who he's taking care of um uh it, it turns out there are like drugs being brought into the res and he has uh teams up with his ex girlfriend to like sort of hunt down mm. the guy who's who they think is i mean i'm only a third of the way into the book but uh, to hunt down the guy who's bringing the drugs into the res. Um, I could have done a way better job summarizing that. No, but... I think I've heard of this book. I think I've read about it somewhere. Yeah, well, it's part of um, Kara Brown. Is that oh, right? <laughs> Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> Sex uh, the City? <laughs> no, just, they would not read. Yeah, no. Um, okay, it's her book, book club. club. Yeah. yeah. Um, that they did in September and I'm just getting to it now. Uh, but it's, my brain is like completely fried recently. And like, I've tried to read books that are like, like fantasy books or Mm -hmm. like, uh, nonfiction books. And I just like, can't, like, I need something that is like set in reality and like, is uh, like detect, like, this is like perfect because it's like, uh, I can, I don't know. It's easy to like imagine. Anyway, um, it's been really interesting so far uh, and very easy to like just get right into. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm very curious to see where it goes uh, with the characters. And then the third thing that I'm I guess I'm like kind of into. I haven't had much time to like do stuff besides keep watching One Piece. (laughs) (laughs) But I have started The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is... I would say 
like kind of a sequel to The Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. It's made by the same people. It has all the same actors, has the same music. And it's about another haunted house, but this one's in England. Yeah. Uh, and it it has similar... It's very similar to uh, Hill House, which I didn't love. Um, but Bly Manor is more like cheerful or like brighter, at least so far. I'm only a few episodes in, which I kind of like. Mm-hmm. But I also like that. I also just like haunted houses. Yeah. Um, but the... Re- there was like, but it's also like not the greatest, like same as how I thought of, of uh, Hill House. Um, there was like a big reveal about why the main uh, character was being haunted and it was like a very big letdown. <laughs> but um, it's basically about an au pair named Danny who is hired to go look after two children whose parents had passed um, in this like manor called Bly Manor out mm-hmm. in the English countryside. And the previous au pair had killed herself mm-hmm. a year prior. So it's like these kids have been through a lot of trauma. And, it's the and turn of the screw adaptation, right? Like it's supposed to be. I think yeah. it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah but I, I don't think like exactly, yeah. but it's based on like, I think short stories that are based on the turn of the screw. I don't know. I don't know what the turn of the screw is. Okay. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's the plot of Turn of the Screw. <laughs> um, but there's also like this, the all of the um, characters that, like the cast of characters, it's just like lighter than That's nice. Hill House. Yeah. Hill House was like kind of a slog. It was like addiction, mm-hmm. trauma. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. So I guess. Sorry, go on. <laughs> I guess I'm into that. I'm I guess. I'm kind of a half-hearted. <laughs> Uh, I'm very busy. (laughs) Hi, Mackenzie here. Just wanting to give a quick trigger warning for both of these movies um, before we start talking about them. Tales from the Hood depicts a very graphic scene of police brutality against a black man in the first short. It's very uh, bloody and hard to watch. And uh, there is also scenes of domestic violence in the second short. And also in the final short, there is torture um, that is related to prison. Uh, but it is overall seems less violent than the f- the first one We is the one that we found the most disturbing. But just giving a quick rundown in case you are concerned. And then in VHS, it immediately starts with a sexual assault, and there are repetitive scenes of various sexual assault and harassment and abuse throughout the entire movie, like rape and non-consensual filmmaking. So please feel free to skip this one if you want. We totally get it. These were two movies that were very hard to watch, especially VHS. Without further ado, back to the episode. So let's get into it. Uh, The first anthology movie we're covering is Tales from the Hood, which was from 1995. Tales from the Hood follows three drug dealers named Stack, Ball, and Bulldog as they search for a missing stash. They find themselves at a funeral home run by a creepy older man called Mr. Sims. Mr. Sims will give them their drugs back, 
but not before he tells them four stories about police violence, zombies, monsters, and the Klan. Uh, so I was thinking maybe we could kind of like go through for each of these like story by story because both of them have, you know, four or five short films within them. Hence the anthology aspect. Right. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about um, like antho- the anthology format in general? Just sure. like about, I guess, mm-hmm. at the start, how it sort of feels like just by nature of being Mm -hmm. an anthology it feels like a collection of like like fables or like um and and fables are just by nature of what they are like very moralistic Mm -hmm. and i think that comes through in different ways for both tales from the hood and vhs tales from the hood is a little more explicit about it perhaps because it was directed by one person rusty uh instead of vhs which kind of had multiple Mm -hmm. directors take on each Mm -hmm. segment so this movie kind of definitely has more of a through line and in terms of theme uh throughout the different stories than vhs and it feels a lot more intentional than vhs which i think like Mm -hmm. even the producers would admit they kind of just clobbered vhs together and perhaps the theme of vhs is united by the fact that it was all men (laughs) making the movie. But I think Rusty had um, like a particular thing he was trying to say with the movie. And like you were saying, uh, just by virtue of the format, it kind of feels almost also like you're watching like a TV show, you know, where it's very Mm -hmm. episodic. This is a quote from uh, the director in IndieWire. He said, what we wanted to do with Tales from the Hood and what we continue to do with it is to deal with problems in the African-American community and show how the scariest things happen to you are the human beings that happen to you, the human things that happen to you. We wanted to use the supernatural as a redemptive element as opposed to the thing that you're running away from, which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. It's the thing you're cheering for. That's what creates the entertainment value. You really, you're really happy to see the things that happen to people because they really deserve whatever comeuppance they get. So yes, very moralistic and we'll get more into that. And I think both of these, yeah, both of these movies are like very about sort like revenge or like they're get what they're, they get what they're, that's so true. They deserve or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I do, I did enjoy the format of Tales from the Hood more than VHS. I liked that there was a very like clear frame of like, they're in this like funeral home mm-hmm. and they keep returning to it and it's just very simple like they're looking mm-hmm. at different dead bodies and learning about how all the different people died like <laughs> i i yeah. did like that more than vhs and but we can talk also more about kind why of I didn't like more that. like as a story point i understand why they're in the funeral home and why mm-hmm. like they're keep waiting for Mr. Sims to give them the stash of drugs that they're trying to locate. Mm-hmm. And he keeps kind of leading them along and telling them different mm-hmm. stories. And you're like, okay, I understand why they're there, which in, yeah. in, in VHS, it's like, get the fuck out of this house. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, sure. yeah. And it's kind of interesting too, that both VHS and tales from the hood, um, like the framing narrative is about kind of, um, this group of like criminals in both instances. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm that are uh, looking for something and find their way into a scary house. Right. Mm-hmm. I, except I feel like with tales from the hood, those characters have like a little bit more like 
they just are more likable more likable i feel VHS. more empathetic towards them the vhs yeah. we'll get into it but the vh the vhs guys are like scum yeah <laughs> it's like terrible the worst people i know like did not feel any empathy for them whatsoever uh yeah or worried about them yeah. at all uh, no <laughs> yeah but let's get into it so the first story um is called rogue cop revelation and it is about um this young black cop who is witnesses three or four of his white uh co-workers first rough up and terrorize this black activist that they've pulled over and then eventually they kill the activist they like brutally beat him um and then frame him so it looks like an overdose and the black cop is uh overcome with guilt that he did not intervene and he kind of loses his way and loses his job and a year later he is kind of summoned by the um the undead presence of the activist to help him seek vengeance against the racist cops um yeah well i think i guess talking about that violence Mm -hmm. um i think that both of these movies are like we were saying before about like sort of like revenge or like mm-hmm. this like gratifying you know like come up and yeah. that you witness but i think that part of that is always that you see the trauma in the first place mm-hmm. and i don't love that like yeah i guess there's no way to i don't maybe there's like no way to have two at once mm-hmm. but you're just like you get put through the ringer like watching these horrible things get done to these people uh-huh. and then so then you are at the end, like, I don't know. It's like, a, it is gratifying to see mm-hmm. like people, I guess, like get what they deserve, yeah. like in terms of like this, these cops mm-hmm. uh, or in this case. Um, but it's also sucks that you have to mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. the activists mm-hmm. get like brutally killed, murdered. Yeah. yeah. Like you watch mm-hmm. it like from beginning to end, like mm-hmm. brutally beat and then murdered. Mm-hmm. So, and this was in the, the mid nineties. So, you know, after Rodney King, but before kind of like the proliferation of people being able to videotape and capture police brutality, you know, mm-hmm. more regularly and disperse it, um, you know, wide, you know, disperse it online. Um, mm-hmm. so there's definitely probably like a different context for showing, um, this kind of violence. Um, but, uh, the end of the film has the the kind of zombie activist uh, pick off each cop one by one, and um, there's this large, like very beautiful mural of the activist in uh, the city that they're in, and um, both the zombie version of the activist and the cop like kind of enter the mural at the end of the movie, which I thought was mm-hmm. really interesting and kind of a strange. Um, like a strange through line through the film too was art and representations of the characters kind of intermingling mm-hmm. with real life. Uh, it also happens in the second movie, boys do get bruised. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. And I also think that this, something I really enjoyed about tales from the hood were the practical effects and the, mm-hmm. the art design basically, um, yeah. which we can get into more in the I mean, I, Yeah. The mural definitely, I like got immediately, like immediate Candyman vibes from the mural, which I mean, I loved Candyman. Mm -hmm. So, um, I liked that like vibe, I guess. Um, but then one of the, one of my favorite practical effects from the entire anthology is, 
when the cop's face like melts off yeah. um, at the very end of the segment. I love that. Yeah. It's some really <laughs> like, good practical yeah. effects. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I really, I liked this first movie, uh, first film a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it was um, one of my two favorites, but mm-hmm. let's get into the second one, which is called boys do get bruised. And it's about a young boy named Walter who is at school and exhibiting signs of abuse. He's bruised and kind of afraid. And he tells his teacher who's kind of interested in him and trying to help him that a monster is visiting him. And then it's revealed that the monster is actually his mom's new boyfriend who's been abusing the mom and the, the boy Walter. Um, and the teacher here is actually played by the director, um, which surprised me. And then the abusive boyfriend is in Jumanji, the original movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. But this one was good. Uh, it's funny cause you, or it's not funny, but it's first you think that there's an actual monster terrorizing the boy because it's, <laughs> we're in like a supernatural horror movie. And then you realize it's actually just the abuse happening at his home. But there's mm-hmm. this like voodoo element where Walter the boy is able mm-hmm. to kill his abuser by drawing him, re- representing him on a piece of paper as the monster. Mm-hmm. So another mm-hmm. weird crossover between like um, art and representation mm-hmm. and violence. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, like it's supernatural in a way that you don't expect, which mm-hmm. I think is cool. Um, and like definitely unique i feel like but i also liked in terms of like practical effects i love when a monster or like something can look like a power ranger villain (laughs) oh yeah villain in power rangers where it's like this huge like like it's a human in a suit plastic like thing I love that yeah it's so funny (laughs) i've been doing a lot of buffy rewatching too and Mm. I think when there were like low budget monsters in the nineties, they all kind of look the same because they're trying to mm-hmm. do the most with basically a person in a suit, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of funny. There's like a through line there. Mm-hmm. Um, then the third film is called KKK comeuppance. This was my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. really enjoyed this one. And it's about a David Duke stand in, uh, his name is Duke Metzger, I think, which is part of David Duke's name and then a part of another mm-hmm. racist white nationalist. Um, so kind of a pretty blatant reference to those men. And mm-hmm. he is running for office and using a former plantation as his headquarters that is supposedly haunted by the ghosts of slaves who were killed on the plantation and then reanimated in dolls that are represented mm-hmm. again in a painting. Um, I'm like mm-hmm. kind of... <laughs> forming this yep. thought as I go represented yeah. again in a painting, uh, in the plantation, uh, in the former plantation and the racist politician is, uh, kind of hunted down by the, the reanimated ghost dolls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like this one too. The, uh, practical effects are really cool. And this one too was more like, I think it was also the like, um, more, ridiculous of like Mm -hmm. the most ridiculous i guess of all of them just the like these little dolls like it's very like chucky vibes where it's like this like sort of like uncanny it's like creepy but you're also like what the heck i don't know it's just it's very it was like it's like i don't know 
I was going to say fun, like a fun premise, but I don't know if that's well, right it is. Say. It is. It feels, you know, kind of like enjoyable to watch a David Duke stand in, <laughs> yeah. you know, have this happen to him. And I was even wondering, like, does David Duke know he is in a horror movie? <laughs> uh, I just listened to the Slow Burn podcast that came out a couple months ago about the rise of David Duke and his like political career. And he's a real piece of shit. So uh, mm. it was funny to see him like kind of like sent up in this way. Um, yeah. And the doll effects are wonderful. And mm-hmm. then, so the, the last story is called hardcore convert. I think my least favorite of the four. Yeah, I think so too. For um, me. and it kind of ties together with the framing narrative. It's about a gang member named crazy K. He guns down a rival and then the rival's friends retaliate and almost kill him until the cops intervene. He ends up in jail and, um, he kind of has like this vision, I guess, of he, well, he's taken by a doctor for like a personality reset yeah. to like this, um, like haunted mansion looking asylum. And she does like a lot of clockwork orange esque, mm-hmm. like, uh, torture. <laughs> To him, I mean, I I guess it's supposed to be like reprogramming, but you know, like brainwashing, I guess. But in, in this case, it's supposed to make him realize that he shouldn't be killing mm-hmm. people, and that it basically the the it's trying to show that gang violence is doing the work of white supremacists, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it definitely. So also the other part that that ties it together with the framing narrative is then it kind of jumps back to the original instance of Crazy K gunning down this rival gang member and then he is um, attacked by the rival gang member's friends and they turn out to be Stackball and Bulldog, who are the Mm -hmm. three original men from the beginning of the story. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then Mr. Sims kind of lectures to them as well about kind of how they've wasted their lives as gang members and it feels like a very conservative or perhaps like an older generation's read on Mm -hmm. um crime and violence in Mm -hmm. uh like black communities where yeah equating gang violence with like white supremacist violence did not Mm -hmm. feel right or yeah um maybe not how we would think of it today uh Mm -hmm. being kind of more aware of like the effects of poverty and Mm -hmm. uh other social factors um you know so that was a little yeah (laughs) i think like it's especially like glaring when he is placed next to uh like crazy k in the asylum is placed his cells placed next to like a neo-nazi and the neo-nazis just like like absolutely evil and like like he's just like i want to he like wants to like he's saying these terrible terrible things i'm not gonna say them but uh you can maybe imagine um and i was just like this is is not the same like this is this neo-nazi is like clearly way worse than and the neo-nazi is saying like that he likes crazy k because crazy k has killed other black men yeah yeah and it's I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. And it also just, I think, in terms of, like, the production was not as great. I think that Mm -hmm. this was originally uh, going to be a play. Mm -hmm. And I think that in this short, I can definitely see that, like, influence Mm -hmm. where 
I was just like, this seems like something I would have watched like in the like black box theater at um, <laughs> university yeah, or something yeah. with like the setting and just like mm-hmm. the way everything was staged. Um, mm-hmm. Which I, I don't know. For me, it just was like uh, not right for the medium, I guess. Mm-hmm. So something that surprised me about Tales from the Hood is that it obviously was a very influential horror movie for a lot of filmmakers. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, get out kind of owes a lot to, um, tales from Mm -hmm. the hood. Uh, but Rusty, the director, uh, in this interview in IndieWire was talking about how they, the movie was not really marketed correctly, really let the film down. The studio didn't really support it, even though Spike Lee was involved as executive producer, which is really interesting. And this shocked me. So when we were looking to watch this movie, I looked it up on Amazon prime and it said tales from the hood, 2015. And I was like, this Mm -hmm. is not the one I'm looking for. I'm looking for the 1995 Mm -hmm. version, but Mm -hmm. it says tales from the hood, 2015, because it was reissued. Uh, Mm -hmm. the director says, we finally got a nice Blu-ray transfer. That was difficult because Universal lost all the prints. To be quite honest, I don't think Universal saw the value of the property. They had it for years and years. We approached them a few times. No one seemed all that interested in it. I don't think they realized the audience was out there for it. I'm not even sure they realized the audience that it's out there for it right now. It's just crazy to think of Universal straight up losing all of the prints of a movie from 1995. It it is, it's so like irresponsible, and it's also very jarring to read the director's and producer's experience with this movie compared to the VHS oh, <laughs> experience. Because yeah. the, we read an interview with the VHS producer, I think in IndieWire, mm-hmm. and he was just like, you know, we just did whatever we wanted, and it was like we were just like playing around. Yeah, we had really so an easy. Idea. And then they had like five sequels come out I since know. like 2012 and like f- and spin-offs yeah. and meanwhile it took Tales from the Hood 20 years to get a sequel, a sequel that they've been trying to make this entire and time. You even and I was watch just this like this movie until 2015 what? on the internet. Yeah. It like absolutely crazy just really crazy uh, yeah. i'm glad it's yeah. more accessible and it's online now but that's just mm-hmm. terrible that's terrible yes. yes yes um so this is the one star review i found on imdb of tales from the hood i guess since i am a white male from the south my views will not be posted <laughs> well they were i love horror films and always have this movie makes every white guy in existence a bigot racist but would not be the view of this director i say it is yeah, and then he ends it with he says that he doesn't support the clan or racism, but this flick <laughs> speaks of it in leaps and bounds from the other side of the fence. Like, are you saying that they deserve to have their voices heard? And uh, yeah, and then he says, "I don't expect my opinion to be heard." <laughs> it was posted. It was posted. You... Ew. Yeah, such an ew, such an ew. So gross. I could not believe what I was reading. But Mackenzie, what are your final thoughts and uh, reading? Um, I, I mean, I, I was definitely excited to watch this. I think since we did what did horror noir, yeah, and Demon Night last year, I mm-hmm. have been wanting to see it, and just like I think that the like Tales from the Crypt, uh, like practical effects sort of like campy type like horror is like very appealing to me 
Um, so I was definitely excited to watch it. And I think it did like deliver on that for sure. And it was very interesting and very like topical and relevant for this su- past summer. And mm, yeah, I mean, it's not like the uh, has ever not been relevant, mm-hmm. but it just seems like it's depressing guess, to kind of yeah. see the retread of these stories. Yeah. Um, but I, but I really liked it, I think overall. And so I, I'll give it a six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to give it a six as well. I would just want, I want to see the sequels like too. Yeah. I want to see the sequels too. I want to see perhaps if the director's politics have kind of shifted away from kind of the more conservative bent that this movie had at the end. Um, and you know, I, I think that would just be, you know, the times changing too in our under uh, all right. of our, everyone's understanding. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. And it's such a terrible stream and it's wasn't like, you know, available on cable or, you know, more accessible. Cause I think it could have become like a Halloween staple, um, mm. on TV if it mm-hmm. had been, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it has all of the elements necessary all right let's jump into vhs so our next movie is another horror anthology it's vhs from 2012 vhs's framing device introduces us to a gang of violent assholes a group of young men who like to film their violent exploits which range from property destruction to sexual assault An anonymous source leads them to an abandoned home wherein they find a dead old man and a stash of VHS tapes. You know what the weird thing about this movie is? That it came out in 2012 (laughs) and who would have VHS? Like a lot of the times it's a found footage movie. So you're like, okay, this was filmed semi-recently too, Mm -hmm. except for the one which was from 1998. Are supposed to be, and I'm like, who who is converting these to be? It was, I mean, in 2012, you could not find VHSs easily. Yeah, it was, you know, it wasn't. It's not the (laughs) 90s. Like the the very first story is being filmed on a man's glasses. Like he has special spy glasses that are filming the story, and you're like, and then he transferred it to a VHS. (laughs) Yeah, what? (laughs) Make it make sense. it's so weird. I feel like I guess DVD isn't as scary sounding. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I guess Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be so funny if those were the sequels, though. Oh my god, that would be great. Good, good idea. Yeah, I'll make my own horror <laughs> anthology, and it's that would. You know how like they have spoofs that are like a oh similar, yeah yeah that would be a good spoof that would be a good one and it would I would fully lean into how piggish all of the men in this movie are they're truly terrible i started watching this movie and i was like what or what am i watching i was like this is almost like i can't this is unwatchable i like and i was also extremely confused because <laughs> it the first like the the format of the uh, through line that mm-hmm. ties them all together and the first story the men are like indistinguishable to me like they seemed the same so when the first story started i was like oh it's just i was like what's happening this like setup is taking forever but it was i guess that's what happens when you just cast white people and white men in your main roles it it become indistinguishable from each other (laughs) and the characters i also like have to say that i guess oh something that i appreciated about this movie i guess Mm -hmm. is that the men seemed familiar to me i was like oh like this reminds me of these 
a couple people that we knew in college that would just yeah. like literally destroy things and be like destruction is like art and i was like Ooh, yeah i mean I, hard to tell if i think like the filmmakers are semi-aware of how terrible these men are but also not like totally yeah uh you know saying that it's bad so yeah. lots of movies employ the male gaze um you know uh subtly because you know they're it's the camera looking at women uh or mm-hmm. non uh you know male people but this movie literally employs the male gaze because you are standing in the place of a male character behind a camcorder or eyeglasses and you are seeing mm-hmm. what he sees and each story literally has a slow zoom into a, like women's breasts and also there's this other weird interspersed framing story which i didn't put in the notes of this man trying to trick his girlfriend into making a sex tape yes i think that is just part of the tape i don't yeah you're right i and then it kind of <laughs> nothing like nothing too scary happens with that other than like you know uh rape uh yeah yeah okay so the first story is so they they start watching these vhs's in this creepy old house they're trying to find one vhs mm-hmm. but they're like let's just mm-hmm. watch all of them um the first story is about these terrible gr- friend group of three men who go out for a night on the town with the aim of trying to trick girls into coming back to their hotel room and filming porn with them it's called amateur night and it's directed by david bruckner uh, and the twist in the movie is one of the girls that they bring back to the hotel is a succubus <laughs> yeah uh they they really are i mean it's the same thing that the framing people the framing device men were doing which is like tricking mm-hmm. women into being naked and like doing sex stuff yeah. rape it was terrible exactly and as you were saying with uh <sighs> tales from the hood there is like this sense of a comeuppance uh because the succubus mm-hmm. woman turns on the men who are trying to exploit mm-hmm. her and you know like we're very close to like raping um, another girl who they brought back and who had passed out. Yeah. I found this uh, blog called the film experience uh, by the writer named just known as uh, Nathaniel R. And he, I was very happy to see that he pointed out in this first story, amateur night that even though um, the men are bad in this story and like so bad and so terrible, the fact mm-hmm. that the, the girl Lily is supernatural immediately mm-hmm. like others her. So we don't mm-hmm. have, we have sympathy with the human male characters, even though yeah. they have, they have, they had aims to like sexually assault women. The mm-hmm. fact that they then are terrorized by a supernatural, uh, like being immediately places our sympathy back with them, which yeah. I thought was a really good point. I would. Yeah. And I think that's true for like almost every single one of these shorts. Yes. That, so there is like a woman, a woman that you feel bad for. And then it's like, oh, no, she's actually bad, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's maybe worse. And uh, yeah. the same thing happens in Second Honeymoon, the second movie, which is directed by Ty West, who did In- Innkeepers, which we've talked about on the pod. And House of the Devil. I really like him. And in the Roger Ebert review of VHS, he was like, what is Ty West doing in this movie? He's better than this. <laughs> yeah. I this I think this one was, I guess, my favorite 
I don't know. I liked the first one too, mm-hmm. um, but I did. It's like this movie, like we've been saying, it's like made by men for men. And so it's like they, I think we're just sort of trying to be like, men, we can do better. Like this, these, this behavior is bad. Yeah. Um, but they were also like, but like, ladies, be I don't crazy. know. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, they were also like, women are crazy. Like, too. If you're too rude to your girlfriend, maybe she'll turn out to be an evil lesbian who kills you with her partner. Yeah. That's which is the plot of the second story. Uh, I did like the the I guess this one's my favorite because it feels yeah because I there's like the part where uh, the boyfriend or I guess her husband Mm -hmm. is like filming her and he's like let's do sexy stuff and trying to like cajole her Mm -hmm. into like doing it on camera to be in the mood and she's like I don't want to like no and like i guess the the fact that they showed that and it was like at least to me very clearly bad i was like oh like a man made this and the man is saying this is bad Mm -hmm. so like men realize this is bad yeah and i was like that's good i think think it's bad and the wife in the film is sophia takal who directed the black christmas reboot that we also covered Mm -hmm. on the podcast last year Mm -hmm. um i think that like a lot of the people starring in the movies in VHS are, it's like one friend group, basically, you know, kind of uh, using each other for actors and directors popping in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Swanberg plays the husband and he is also the director of the framing device. Um, oh. <laughs> so it's like, it's just like an incestuous pool of a friend group that yeah. decided to make a movie together. Um, yeah. yeah. And there are no women, no women wrote, or like involved like there was like one producer that was a woman i didn't see that that's funny uh the third movie was my least favorite the third and fourth were bad uh yeah (laughs) the third is called tuesday the 17th get it after friday the 13th yeah and it's kind of a spoof almost on like a slasher movie about a group of friends who go hiking or go into the woods except this girl tricks her friend group into going on a hike and then kind of slowly reveals that the last friend group she went on a hike with was murdered by this supernatural killer called the glitch who appears on camera as like static glitchiness Mm -hmm. and the effect was so annoying to me i hated it i hated watching it and you can't really make out the killer except that he has a red hat which made me be like maga (laughs) this one was very like student film oh it was like very uh, compared to all the other ones too it was like this one's just like bad it was bad in a different way in that it was just not good like it was just complete it was just shit yeah it was was really bad and i was like why did this girl is she a sociopath as well that she would bring people to sacrifice to catch I, right. the killer? It was like, crazy. Uh, yep. uh, yeah. And the effects were just bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the fourth film is called The Sick Thing That Happened to Emily When She Was Younger, directed by Joe Swanberg as well, who's the husband in the first, second movie. Um, and this one, very creepy, but also um, infuriating characters that made it hard mm-hmm. for me to get through um, about this, it's this girl named Emily talking to her boyfriend who is a doctor and he's long distance. So they're Skyping and she keeps asking him about this weird bump in her arm. And she's like, Oh, I'm in a new apartment and I keep hearing creepy things at night. And she keeps mm-hmm. Skyping him 
to show him the creepy things at night. And is she's like so useless and such a manic pixie dream girl that she's like walking around her apartment with her eyes closed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Showing him it's things bad. on Skype. Yeah, it's pretty and bad. He's just gaslighting her the entire time. Yeah. Basically, it's revealed that he is like doing experiments on her. With and alien so the children? like bump in her arm is like a tracking device. Yeah. And like there's like a fetus alien fetus in her back or something yep yep and then it turns out he's doing it to other women as well and don't worry we get to see boobs yeah multiple boobs yeah this one sucked it's making me tired i know to it just is think about this i know this one sucked uh i liked the final story though uh like you said mm-hmm. it was kind of a a, a male redemption story yeah <laughs> After all they were like not all men are her- terrible Hashtag not all men like, Someone yeah. save you. It's called. Uh, it's titled Ten Thirty One Ninety Eight, and it's from the nineties. When a time where we would actually have used VHSs, yes. <laughs> like the only yeah. VHS appropriate story. Did people like go? Do does anyone use video in the way that found footage movies? Think no, that people use video. No, it's such a stretch. Too, it's such a stretch. It's like, uh, like I think Blair Witch Project did it best, and then everyone else has been trying to like ham fist a story into this medium, and it doesn't yeah. always work. Paranormal Activity, I think, was okay, mm-hmm. but no one because they were like, we need to document this supernatural thing happening. Yeah, that I yeah that that I feel like made sense. And, like, if it's a documentary crew, like Deborah Logan, like, that would make sense. But, like, this, like, like normal people going about their day. I know. No. And it's pre, like, pre-Snapchat, pre-Instagram stories. It's not like people are, at that point, used to recording their life in minute detail for strangers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's especially uncomfortable just given the subject matter. And just because, like, found footage is so voyeuristic it like by nature that it's like super disturbing for it to just be like applied to terrorizing all the women in this every single one of these shorts it's just like yeah (laughs) it really is it's like the male gaze grew legs and started following people around and harassing them yeah (laughs) it's so this one is about a group of male friends um that think they're going to a halloween party at a haunted house and the haunted house is a real haunted house and that like is played out so long they're like walking around the house and they're like dude this is like so well done uh yeah and you're like oh no it's, it's real and they go upstairs to the attic of the haunted house and an exorcism is being performed and they bust the girl out of the exorcism uh which seems very nice and then you're like maybe you shouldn't have done that <laughs> and then they're all killed yeah <laughs> But it was good. It was kind of suspenseful. They were nicer men. Mm-hmm. It was nice. It was nice that they were nicer. Like, they you know? hint at having a female friend group. They're like, are the girls coming out tonight? And they're like, we'll meet yeah. them there later. And I'm like, okay. So it's almost like, <laughs> it, women. you know, it broke the Bechdel test, you know? <laughs> no. Is nope. that what that is? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, they mentioned women. They mentioned women that they knew <laughs> that they necessarily didn't want to have sex with. Uh, no, they probably did. It's yeah. funny. This interview with the producer, Brad Miska, says that found footage has at least another good five years, but they've been doing VHS sequels for like <sighs> up until recently. Like they had just announced yes. another one. It's so yeah. funny. I'm like, I would. Yeah. It, it, like you were saying, it's really hard to justify people filming in this way mm-hmm. for the story. It doesn't always work. 
it's just not even enjoyable. It's like, like what was the most crazy thing that they filmed? I was trying to think of that. Like why, like where you'd be like, please put the camera away (laughs) if you were living it. I feel like um, maybe the the sick thing that happened to Emily was the biggest stretch for me that oh you know the other thing that happens in that film that was cracking me up is Emily doesn't have a flashlight so she uses a camera flash oh yeah so I was like girl it's like um the same uh rear window where he uses the camera mm-hmm. flash it's the same thing but shitty it's dumber because <laughs> She's using it to see, not stun someone. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, the one-star reviews... There were a lot of one-star reviews for this movie. I feel like this was the first movie... Well, I couldn't... It was funny because all of the one-star reviews seemed to me like they were written by men. And no one commented on how like weird and horny the movie was. They just hated mm-hmm. the handicam effect. Everyone was like, oh. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Um, do you want to jump into one-star reviews? Sure. Yes. Okay. Sorry. So this is the first one-star review for VHS. Yeah, let's do Get it. your acting voice on. Whew. How did the camera survive being hit by a train and that one short that I won't mention? How did somebody record a Skype conversation, including the desktop in the background? Why then? Was this then transferred to VHS tape? I mean, good question. Yeah, really? (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why was the dialogue so diabolically awful in the short about the kids in the forest? True. Yep. Agree. We could have just read this and then have been done. (laughs) Yeah. What were you just saying about we're all going to die here? I remember reading something about a bunch of kids being killed up here. What are the odds? Etc. Paraphrase. But only just. Ugh. And then... The final video just plays at the end. Nobody presses play on the VCR. Who's playing it and who's watching it? We are. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. The second one is seriously who breaks into someone's home and then starts watching videotapes. Any <laughs> rational thinking person would take the tapes, leave, and if the need is to watch, watch it in, once in the safety of one's home. It is such a pathetic storyline. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, Get I like, yeah, I, this isn't like my, uh, uh, main problems with these movies, yeah, like movie, but you know, valid, valid. it is bad. Yeah, it's nice like, to see men on the internet like talking about male characters in horror movies the way they do about like women in horror movies. We're like, why wouldn't you just get out? Yeah. Why wouldn't you just yeah, shoot yeah. it? You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the third and final once I review for VHS. Why would somebody produce such a bad movie? Why would somebody have anybody go through the pain and misery of watching this piece of crap? Where's the love? I started crying. It doesn't make any sense. I always thought that there was a silver lining, a little piece of hope, something to hold on. There isn't. I wish filmmaking would never have been invented. I don't know what to do. I'm lost. (laughs) That's a good one. I know. That was good. It's a good note to write this movie on. Yeah. I'm going to give it a four, Mackenzie. I'm going to give it a three. Yeah. Like, I feel like... When I was watching the first short and the and then the second, I was like, okay, like, like men are bad. Men are acknowledging their badness, mm-hmm. like a little bit. I was like, it's also this is like pretty traumatizing for women to watch, yeah. and then like it was also like women are also bad. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. And then the third one through the end, I was just like, this is just not good. 
Yeah, I know. And the beget the framing device was also just absolutely terrible. So yeah, we didn't cover this, but all of the men die at the end, and you're like, whatever, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they were terrible. Bye. Yeah. Uh, well, what about you? Oh, I you yeah, four. I'm gonna give it a four. Kind of entertaining, but bad, and maybe not <laughs> maybe not worth your time. Yeah. <laughs> um, it would really help us out if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ChickFlixPod and email us at ChickFlixPodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode will air on November 2nd and very exciting. We will be discussing Blade and Underworld. <laughs> ChickFlix is researched and written by Bridget Hovell and edited by Mackenzie Chapman. Many thanks to Tim Grief Carlson for our music. Thanks for listening to ChickFlix. Bye. Bye.